Hello, my name is Mark Gibson, and you're listening to the podcast version of the Chagask Signpost series, a weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. New Zealand is a country that has hit the headlines in recent times for its unique and highly successful approach to dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic. Ireland and New Zealand experience similar climatic conditions, and as a consequence, there are a lot of similarities between the farming systems operated in both countries and also the challenges faced in each country. So how is farming, the farming community in New Zealand, responding to the challenges presented by climate change? And what, if any, are the key differences in the New Zealand approach? To to discuss this, I'm delighted to be joined uh, live from New Zealand by Dr. Sinead Leahy, who is Acting Deputy Director and Senior Science Advisor with the New Zealand Agricultural Greenhouse Gas Research Centre. Sinead, you're very welcome to the Signpost webinar. Thanks, Mark. It's really good to be able to join you from the other side of the world. So fantastic to be here. Great, great. We're also joined by Pat Murphy, who's our Head of Knowledge Transfer uh, Programme on Environment. Pat, good morning to you. Good morning. Good morning, all. So, Sinead, uh, you, you've been based in New Zealand for a number of years now, um, how, how you're, you're, and you're working in the Greenhouse Gas Research Centre over there. Could you tell us a bit about the work that you're doing over there? Yeah, hi. Um, so, yeah, so the, the, new, the New Zealand Agricultural Greenhouse Gas Research Centre, we're predominantly a funder of research in the area of agricultural greenhouse gases. So, um, as we talked about earlier, Mark, my job goes from a science advice uh, right through to project management to delivery um, of services. So it's quite a, a to policy um, um, implications as well. So it's quite a variety, vari- wide variety of activities I currently do at the moment. But my background is really around um, mitigation um, of methane from ruminant livestock. So. That's my you, real you did interest. your studies in uh, UCC, is that right? That's right. I started off actually in, in UCC and then, like many people in 2006, went for a, a short postdoc to New Zealand um, with the original plan to stay for two years. And uh, suddenly it's it's now uh, 2021 and I'm, I'm still here. <laughs> Very good. And tell us, uh, uh, Sinead, I know a lot of people are wondering what life is like in New Zealand at the moment uh, due to the the COVID pandemic Um, compared to to Europe and the rest of the world. New Zealand has taken quite a different approach. Yeah, we like a lot of people are always laugh at me and say, take that smug look off your face. But, you know, we have been really, really, really lucky, um, you know, and and thankfully that's just the quick actions of um, the New Zealand government. But equally, of course, we're very fortunate in our geographical location. We are far away uh, from the epicenters of the pandemics and we have the ability to lock down um, our borders, which meant that we really only had that one serious lockdown way back in sort of March, April last year. And since then, we've been able to really live um, um, as normal within within our borders. Obviously, international travel has changed the way we, we've had to, to work, but um, um, yeah, we continue to go to concerts, continue to go out for, for lunch as, as, as we always do. So yeah, we're, we're really, really lucky and, and it's hard to imagine, you know, how the rest of the world have had to continue in these lockdowns for such a long, long period. I don't, I don't envy. Yeah. Mm. 
So look, I, I think without further ado, I think we, we'd probably get into the presentation, uh, Sinead, because you have lots to share with us. And um, so I'll ask you to share your screen with us. And just to remind everybody that if you have a question for Sinead, please do use the Q&A tab at the bottom of your screen. And uh, you can submit questions at any stage throughout the presentation. And uh, based on, let's say, the number of questions coming through afterwards, Sinead has agreed to stay on a little bit extra if, uh, if there are extra questions coming through. So Sinead, with that, we'd hand over to you. Great, um, thank you, Mark. Um, so good morning, um, um, everybody. I always, if you've ever heard me talk, I, I always like to start my talk off with this piece of modeling work that was done for the Royal Society of New Zealand's report back in 2016. I think it's just a really nice um, uh, piece of modeling work that really makes people think about how climate change uh, might matter for New Zealand uh, going, going forward. So the Earth's um, temperature is warming and the level of that warming will really depend on how much greenhouse gases we are going to emit into the atmosphere in the coming um, um, decade. New Zealand is no different. It's projected to have some warming. Uh, models suggest it's going to be somewhere between 2.5 and 5 degrees by the end of um, the century. And if that warming does come to pass, you know, that warming will have some implications around how we might farm the land in New Zealand. This little um, modeling piece that I'm, work, I'm showing is really, I'm taking a very simple metric. So it's just really, we're looking at number of days exceeding 25 degrees. And you can see here back in 215, New Zealand looks very green, which is really reflective of that nice temperate climate that we have in here in New Zealand, which is really perfect for the type of agriculture that we do and we do well, which is pastoral agriculture. But if you take that business as usual scenario, so that's where we as a global population continue um, living as we do now um, and model it out to 2050, you can see that those temperature increases are starting to slightly change certain parts of New Zealand. So, you know, you can see number of days exceeding 25 degrees um, in certain points, in certain parts being, you know, a lot more, which of course is great if you're going on holidays, uh, but not so great if you're trying to grow grass, you know, and here in New Zealand, ryegrass uh, is one of our typical plant species. It likes that temperature range between uh, somewhere between five and 18 degrees out to 2100. And now you see that things are really starting to change for certain parts of um, New Zealand, moving away from that temperate climbing, heading to a subtropical climate. And this will have implications for how we farm the land in certain regions of New Zealand. Now, obviously New Zealand, we're a small country. We only emit you know, 0.02% of the world's gross um, um, emissions. But I think it's really important to uh, note that what the world does will have implications for what happens um, in New Zealand. So what is New Zealand uh, doing about this? What's the size of the mitigation task for New Zealand? New Zealand has joined the, has a, uh, committed to the Paris Agreement. So we have two sets of climate targets. We've got our international target, which relates to the Paris Agreement. And then we've also got our uh, domestic targets, which are within our own um, um, borders. In terms of our international uh, target, we've agreed to reduce our emissions to 30% below 2005 levels by um, 2030. And that will be um, a, a hard task for New Zealand to, to, to measure or to meet. 
In terms of our domestic targets, I think we're one of the first countries to sort of take this approach. We've taken a split gas rep- uh, approach, and I'll talk a little bit about that later on, why that has major implications for the agriculture sector in, in New Zealand. And as part of our domestic targets, we've uh, agreed to reduce um, our methane by 10% below 2017 levels. So that's biogenic methane. And I'll um, describe where that comes from in New Zealand later on. And then for our 2050 targets, we've, um, we've committed to reducing to net emissions. So that means we'll um, allow offset, for example, by planting of trees, which suck carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. We're going to have net emissions of carbon dioxide and nitrous oxide to zero. And again, that nitrous oxide really relates to the agricultural sector. And I'll show that later. And our 2050 target for um, methane is to reduce to, to somewhere in the range of 24 to 47% below 2017 levels. And our Climate Change Commission will at some point um, um, around, you know, t- uh, around 2035, I think, make some decisions about what that uh, actual target will be. And that will be very much dependent on whether there are technologies available. Often a question that I get asked in, in New Zealand is, are we the only ones um, doing this? And of course, we're, we're not when you sort of uh, match us up against um, some other some of our major um, competitors in the agricultural sector. You see that many of them have very similar Paris Agreement commitments um, to us, if not um, more. Another thing that I like to point out is, you know, New Zealand, we are an export nation. We export, you know, around 90% of the food that we, we produce. And so we're very uh, reliant on international um, market, markets. And we p- supply a lot of uh, major companies with our um, produce. One of the things to keep in mind that some of these um, major companies have quite, are putting in place some uh, very ambitious um, climate t- climate targets for their their companies, particularly around, for instance, scope three emissions, which often relate to on farm um, um, emissions. And as such, you know, while governments might be putting in place targets, um, um, etc, New Zealand does have to keep an eye on what the markets are doing, because companies may outflank governments and actually be a much more bigger driver of change than perhaps um, um, governments. So just something to, to keep in mind. So what are New Zealand's greenhouse gas um, emissions? So New Zealand is really unique among developed countries in that almost half of its emissions come from the agricultural sector. If you compare this to um, the sort of average developed country um, country emissions profile, where agriculture really only commits um, somewhere between you know, 11 and 14 percent. I think Ireland is probably one of the closest to New Zealand, and I'm sure there's somebody who can correct me, but I'm sure it's around 30 to 33 percent. Um, where agriculture contributes to its country um, profile. As a result, while many countries will be focusing on the sort of CO2 side of their emissions uh, profile, New Zealand is in this unique um, scenario where it has uh, a much diverse um, uh, proportion of, of greenhouse gases in terms of methane and nitrous oxide, which are the big agricultural gases, make up a large proportion of our gas profile. And that means if we're going to try and make those targets, then there's no, we really have to look at our agricultural sector. Because um, just another point to make, you know, a lot of countries will be working on their energy sector, but New Zealand, very fortunate, 
um, in that a large proportion of it energy already comes from renewable resources. So when I talk about agricultural um, greenhouse gas gases, I'm really talking about methane and nitrous oxide. There is, of course, carbon dioxide um, that comes from driving your tractor or drying of our milk powder, but that gets accounted for in um, other, other sectors. So it's a little bit of carbon dioxide that comes from our application of lime, but predominantly when you're talking about agriculture, greenhouse gases, you're really talking about methane and you're really talking about nitrous oxide. And the big source really of methane is from enteric fermentation. And the big source of nitrous oxide is really from those urine patches um, in, um, from uh, ruminant livestock again in, in New Zealand. So when I talk about um, enteric uh, methane, what am I talking about? It's really, you know, the cow eats the grass, the grass goes down into the stomach, the fore stomach of the animal. And there you have this microbial population which break down that plant material into smaller compounds that the animal can use. Some of the byproducts of that digestion can get used by the animal and instead get used by this unique group of microorganisms, which we call methanogens or methane forming microbes. So they take those byproducts of digestion that the animal can't use and they convert it into methane, which then gets burped out or eructated out the front of the animal. About 95% of the methane comes out the front and a little bit comes out um, the back in terms of where we deal with manure. In terms of nitrous oxide, um, the animal um, has nitrogen in its urine, it goes onto the urine patch, and there we have microbial soil processes that go on that take some of that nitrogen in the urine and convert it into nitrous oxide, which gets emitted up into the atmosphere. So they're the sources really of our two main gases. The thing that I'm often asked in New Zealand is, you know, you know, livestock are, are carbon neutral. Why do we need to worry about it, Sinead? And in a sense, you know, livestock are neither a source nor a sink of carbon dioxide. But the thing when it comes to global warming is they are a source of methane and they are a source of nitrous oxide. In terms of trends in New Zealand agricultural emissions, what's, what's been happening? So we started reporting our emissions around 1990, like many other countries, you know, just a reflection of us joining international um, agreements. And you can see that since 1990, our, our greenhouse gas emissions have increased about 17% in the agricultural sector. That's much less than what we've seen, for example, in the transport sector, which has increased by about uh, 35%. In terms of what's happening within our sector, you can see there that um, the dairy over the last couple of decades has expanded and taken on more of a proportion of the greenhouse gas emissions in New Zealand. And we've seen a little, we've seen reductions in our sheep industry. And that really was a reflection of many sheep um, and beef farmers being converted to dairy over the last um, few decades. I often put this uh, slide in because I think it just shows how difficult it is actually to predict what will happen with agricultural emissions. And in many cases, even uh, these graphs are often done in conjunction with industry and, and government. Um, they're often um, turn out to not come to pass. For example, one of our national communications back in 2013, this was a time in New Zealand, the milk price was really good. There was huge expansion of dairy and uh, government and industry predicted that, uh, you know, we would get, you know, a huge increase in emissions from the agricultural um, um, sector. But then by 2017, that had become a lot more 
constraint. You know, we weren't expanding as much as we 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 thought. There was water regulations coming in, and so the the government predicted that it would it would uh, level out. And our latest one, which is down in two nineteen, really shows that we are predicting you know a huge drop in um our meat or in our uh, agricultural um, emissions. But in most cases. Uh, when we've put these through, the the actual predictions have been um, um, incorrect. The slide I put in because we have a lot of discussion, or not so much now, but previously a lot of people used to talk about emissions intensity, um, which is really uh, you're talking about the amount of emissions produced per kg of product, you know, lamb, milk, solid whatever. And it was really around, you know, a lot of people say, well, we're reducing our emissions intensity, but that doesn't necessarily mean you actually reduce your absolute emissions or your total concentration of the greenhouse gas in, in the atmosphere. And I think that's an important distinction that we had to sort of uh, talk about a lot, because when it comes to the targets, they're all around absolute emissions. When it talks to when a farmer will be priced for his greenhouse gas emissions, it will be around absolute emissions. It won't be around um, your emissions intensity. And just an example where, you know, a reduction in emissions intensity doesn't necessarily lead to an increase in absolute emissions is really the story of the dairy um, sector in New Zealand. So over the last decade, as I've said, a few decades, uh, the number of dairy cattle have, you know, pretty much uh, doubled in, in New Zealand. At the same time, New Zealand farmers have become very efficient at their production of milk and the amount of milk solids per cow has increased because of the productivity and the on-farm efficiencies our farmers have been making. And as a result, we've seen, you know, large increases in the total amount of mixed solids coming from the New Zealand um, herd. And this has meant that really, you know, the amount of emis uh, emissions produced per kg of milk solid has actually increased over the last few decades. But because we had such an expansion in the number of animals, uh, dairy animals in New, New Zealand, what that's meant is that the total um, emissions from our dairy sector have actually increased. And so that's just one example where, you know, yes, we've, in, we've reduced our emissions intensity, but we actually increased our absolute emissions. And as I said, the key message that, that we try to get across with this slide is really that it's absolute emissions that will count when it comes to our targets. Of course, the, the efficiency gains that New Zealand farmers have um, made have contributed to um, a mitigation um, effect. And we can show that through our, our recording of our um, um, greenhouse gases. So, for instance, if New Zealand farmers had continued to produce just like they did, you know, 20 or 30 years ago, our emissions now could have risen by 40%, but instead they actually increased by 17%. So, and that was done at a time when it was nothing to do with uh, climate change. It really was the practices that were being put in place were really just good practice and made sense at the bottom line. But what it really tells us now is that in New Zealand farmers are very efficient and yes there are some gains we can continue to make which will help with our mitigation um, um, going forward but really if we want to make um, large gains in our, our large reductions in our agricultural greenhouse gases particularly to our 2050 targets around that 47 percent then we will need new technologies um, to be able to do that. There's been um, in the last 12 months or so, there's been quite a lot of um, 
work around agricultural greenhouse gases and policies. And I thought I'd share um, uh, this with you um, um, today because I thought it might be of interest. So right now in New Zealand, um, in terms of our policy tool for greenhouse gases, um, it's really our emissions um, trading scheme. It was designed back in the late 1990s. It was to be designed to be for all gases and all sectors, but due to various different reasons, political and, and so forth, agriculture was never um, included. And right now, the only gas that is really um, um, priced is carbon, carbon dioxide. So if there isn't a price on our agricultural greenhouse gases, how is the agricultural sector in New Zealand uh, planning to meet its targets? And as I said, you know, there are specific targets to the agricultural sector in New Zealand, particularly around methane and nitrous oxide. So the conversation around this really uh, began to accelerate back in April 2019 when our interim climate change um, committee, you know, put out a their first document which really recommended putting a price on agricultural greenhouse gases. In that report, the commission um, basically listed a variety of different ways that agricultural emissions could be um, priced from, you know, um, um, uh, being priced at the processor level to a levy and rebate scheme, to per hectare, to voluntary approach, et cetera. There was a number, um, number of tools put forward. At the same time, industry came together, the sector, the agricultural sector came together, and they put forth a proposal to the government to say that they would take responsibility and that they would decide on um, a farm level uh, system for pricing uh, greenhouse gas emissions. That went out to consultation to the New Zealand government and the government agreed. And so what we have now is what we call a Hewaka Ekonoa, which is Maori for um, we're all in this together. And it's essentially a primary sector climate action partnership. And milestones from that uh, partnership have been put into legislation through the ETS reforms, which were done back in June um, 2020. So the sort of main features of that agreement are is that agricultural uh, greenhouse gases will be priced from 2025. So it's a real clear signal to the sector now. They're going to be farm level for livestock and they will be at processor level for fertilizer. Um, some of the key dates are really around December 2022 where the Minister for Climate Change and Agriculture will need to put forward the details of the pricing screen that will be developed by Hewaka Ekonoa. And also just um, the commission will also review the milestones that are, are, that are set in legislation. And just for interest, these are, um, these are some of the milestones that uh, the sector are going to have um, to, to meet. You know, by December 2022, 100% of all farmers and growers will need to know their annual total on-farm GHGs. And then, you know, by December 2024, 100% of farmers and growers will have a written plan to measure and manage emissions. And I always have a little giggle here because the day later, it's the 1st of January 2025, they'll have all farms in New Zealand will use a system for farm level accounting and reporting of the 2024 agricultural uh, greenhouse gases at the farm level. So, you know, that's a real challenge uh, for the industry to get all of that um, together. And Sinead, can so, I ask how, how is it envisaged that those uh, those measurements would be taken at a farm level or that that accountancy would be done and brought down to a farm level? 
Yeah, I think that's there's still uncertainty around that, actually, Mark. Um, Hawaka Kanoa are currently, you know, going together, and I'll show you now in a moment what their um their what their key their key milestones will be. But it's it's not clear um at at the moment um what what that's going to be. So that's the job really of Hawaka Kanoa to put that together. So, um, so what happens if the milestones aren't met? So when the government agreed this partnership, they put a little sting in the tail because they said, you know, if the Climate Change Commission comes in and, you know, Hawaka Ekanoa hasn't made progress um, according to those milestones, then the government has the can bring agriculture into the ETS at the processor level before 2025. And again, if Hawaka Kanoa have not come up with that farm level pricing mechanism by 2025, again, you know, agriculture will come into the ETS at the processor level. And the reason the industry really are arguing for having it at the farm level, because they want to have farmers have control and get rewarded for the actions that they um, do. Whereas if it goes in at the processor level, they won't even um, see it. So Waka Ekanoa has five uh, work streams and, and Mark, the, the two big ones there are, you know, two and four, you know, is their emissions reporting. So they're going to have to develop the criteria, the methodologies and definitions for a farm level accounting system. And then they're also going to have to devise up a farm level pricing mechanism to incentivize farmers and growers to reduce their eggs and contribute to the 2050 um, targets. So that's still really unclear and ongoing at the moment. And, but what we do now have is a very clear signal from our government that, uh, you know, agricultural greenhouse gases will be priced at the farm level from 2025. More recently, um, so this uh, report from our climate change, its first draft um, advice um, had come out on Sunday this week. It's a massive document. So, um, so everybody's currently digesting it this week, but essentially what this Climate Change Commission report has put forward is essentially a proposed path for how New Zealand can meet um, its um, targets, its domestic um, targets. Um, and it's not just agriculture, it's focusing across all society, so from energy to transport to waste, um, etc. This, this is currently out for formal consultation to the New Zealand um, public to decide if this is the pathway that New Zealand would like to take. Um, consultation closes at the end of May, and then after that, the government will have um, an opportunity to either accept or, or not accept the Climate Change Commission's recommendations and put something into a legislation, I think, by the end of this um, year. So this is a very important document for, for New Zealand um, um, people. Um, I had a quick uh, run through um, the, the, the large document and I thought I'd pick out a couple of key points from um, the report on the proposed pathway for um, New Zealand and how it uh, relates, relates to agriculture. So as I said, you know, our, 20, our 2050 target, we've got a, a methane target of 2010, uh, or sorry, 2030, um, and we've got a 2050 target um, um, for both methane and nitrous oxide. So the report really assumes that we'll have no new technologies in agriculture to help us reduce methane before 2035. Um, it uh, the path proposes that we would see 
dairy and sheep and beef animal numbers each reduced by around 15% from 2018 levels by 2030. That, um, <clears throat> that particular point has really um, seen a lot of interest in the media, people reporting, you know, will the commission has said, well, we want 15%, but that actually compares, you know, with uh, an eight to 10% reduction that's models current under current policies. So it's not that um, further down the track than what's expected to happen under a business as usual scenario. The commission has um, uh, suggested that we'll need to adopt low emission practices on farm, but and continue our historic efficiency gains, which means that we'll see no reduction in the amount of product uh, produced by New Zealand um, agriculture. It's uh, recommended that we see um, selective breeding for low emissions sheep uh, progressively adopted, which is um, a known technology now. And there's obviously land use changes. It's suggesting that um, there'll be a change from some of our dairy land into horticulture of about 2000 hectares per year from 2025. Uh, pine trees will play an important role in getting to 2050, but we've got to acknowledge that that's only a short term um, um, option unless you're leaving it there for, for, long, for longer periods and not carbon farming. So it's about average of 25 hectares per year um, up to 2030. And also they've recommended that we see an increase in new native forests on less productive lands. And they're saying that we move from about 12,000 hectares in 2021 increased to about 25,000 hectares per year by 2030. So there are sort of some of the key points that the commission have um, put forth for for agriculture for the agricultural sector um, to to meet our targets. So um, by the mid of this year, we'll have a clear idea of what um, um, what the path that New Zealand has decided to to take. So just a little bit on um, mitigating um, emissions. How am I going for time, Mark? Uh, you've about uh, ten minutes left. Okay, perfect. Yeah, brilliant. Um, so this is a big one that I often get asked uh, quite a lot when I'm out in farm here in New Zealand. You know, a lot of farmers now starting to get their head around um, agricultural greenhouse uh, gases and what that might mean for the business and what they need to be thinking about um, now. Well, right now, of course, we know there's a clear signal that the that the, there will be emissions priced at the farm level at 2025. But the first step in mitigation is really uh, finding out your on-farm greenhouse gas emissions. You know, you can't manage uh, what you don't know. And that's always the first step that I recommend to, to anyone who's interested in, in starting to think about uh, potential mitigation options for, for their business. When I talk about mitigation options for New Zealand agriculture, I tend to group them into sort of three three groups. The first one is really around that further increase in animal productivity and farm efficiency. So, you know, on farm sort of system and um, change, you know, tweaks of your farm of your farm system. The second area is really around additional technologies that directly reduce emissions. And this is where I work. The New Zealand Agricultural Greenhouse Gas Centre has played an important role. We're really a funder of a lot of um, science that's going to support um, the development of technologies that can directly reduce um, greenhouse gas emissions. And then the third one I sort of lump in together, it's really around policy actions and land use change. In New Zealand, a lot of um, <clears throat> the farming community are really um, um, concerned with the water regulations and what that might mean for their for their business, which will really constrain, you know, in certain areas of New Zealand, total production or actually mean that some parts of New Zealand may not be able to farm 
the way they do now. We also are seeing quite a lot of um, selling of our sheep and beef farming to to carbon farming. So moving over to to forestry. Um, and of course, forestry um, would typically be considered a lower emitting land use. Um, equally, we're also seeing um, a lot of farmers think about diversifying their business, putting a small part of their business into things like cropping and horticulture. And of course, those types of activities tend to have a lower um, emissions profile per, per hectare than, for example, livestock um, and farming. So I won't spend too long here because I know you recently had a uh, presentation by Sinead Waters who sort of talked a lot about on-farm um, sort of system change, but just at the high level really, um, you know, in New Zealand, there's been quite a lot of modeling studies and expert judgments that really suggest that if New Zealand farmers all became as efficient as they could be in relation to greenhouse gas mitigations, um, we'd see somewhere between a two and 10% uh, reduction at the national level in our agricultural greenhouse gases. But I think it's important to note that this, this um, uh, way is, is, is quite uh, complex because you know, each farm will have a, uni a unique emissions profile and really there's no one size uh, all that solution that fits each farm because it all really depends um, on the system that you're operating, the, the, the skill of the staff that you have, you know, the climate and the soil conditions that you're you're working in and what, what might work for Jane down the road may not work for, for John right beside her. Um, and so we really sort of point out that, you know, each farm is different and you really have to um, um, really sort of monitor what you're doing in terms of farm manager to find out really what mitigations might actually work for you when it comes to on-farm practice number of things that have been sort of modeled and um, are looked at in New Zealand. One of the big ones, of course, is around increasing individual animal performance while reducing uh, stocking rate. But you've always got to be careful um, um, there if you're if you're managing down your, your stock, you know, around low emissions of feeds, less intensive systems, once a day milking versus twice a day milking, you know, reduction in fertilized use. We already talked about diversifying your farm system and then how you manage your manage your manure so a lot of uh, different ways but as I said each farm is different and all of those um, sort of practices come come with a caveat that they may not work they may or may not work on your farm in your system I often get asked um, <clears throat> Sinead can you really give us something you know like sum it up I can't give you a generic solution but can you give me something to sort of think at and the sort of generic statements that I would say to anyone is really Methane emissions are related to the total amount of dry matter e eaten. Um, and there's been a lot of work done by New Zealand scientists that for a New Zealand forage fed animal, the back of the envelope calculation is really around 21 grams of methane is produced per kg of feed eaten. <clears throat> and so dry matter intake <clears throat> is really the key parameter there. Um, in terms of nitrous oxide emissions, it always it, it sort of depends really on the total amount of nitrogen that's flowing through your your system, either through your feed or your fertilizer. You you play with that amount, and you'll see some impact um, on your greenhouse gas um, farm profile. When it comes to <clears throat> new technologies, <clears throat> sorry, um, I forgot my Barry's tea here. Um, it um, there's a number of number of areas of research that New Zealand New Zealand has concentrated on, 
already talked to you about um, low or mentioned low methane emitting sheep um, in New Zealand. Uh, New Zealand researchers uh, some time back, you know, measured quite a lot of animals and found that there were some high naturally and some low. They've gone on to do a lot more research and they found that and taken traditional animal breeding approaches and found that, you know, between the very highs and the very lows, it's about a 20% um, um, different, about 10% on average. Um, they've gone on, on even further and found, you know, why that difference is in terms of a low emissions uh, uh, phenotype. We know that the rumen size is smaller on a low emissions animal. Its flow rate is different and its microbial community um, function slightly um, differently. They've looked at producti productivity and there's no adverse um, effects seen. Um, and so scientists are now working with um, industry to roll that out into the National Sheep Index. And it's now currently available to a select number of breeders um, for them to incorporate into their genetics. And in the next uh, one to two years, it'll be available to all farmers if they would like to choose the low emissions phenotype and incorporate it into their genetics. So it will be available, um, but will it, will, it, will it be taken up? That's yet to be um, um, seen. Work started on low emitting uh, cattle. Um, the researchers feel that what they've learned in sheep should trans transfer to, to cattle. And so work is started on uh, with the dairy companies in working with um, and the dairy cattle. Um, there's a little bit of work on New Zealand on low N excreting cattle. Um, there's no not much work in terms of science showing if they actually contribute to a reduction in nitrous oxide emission. But in theory, if you've got a low N excreting cattle, then you'll have less nitrogen in the urine, less nitrogen available to be converted into nitrous oxide emissions. The big ones for New Zealand, if we really want to be hitting, um, you know, that 47%. Uh, methane emissions by 2050 is the methane vaccine. It's one of these ones that's been researched for quite some time now with, with um, no success. But there, there's a real interest by the, 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 the farming community to get this one to get this one to work. It's just so attractive from the fact that it's, you know, would be incredibly low cost. You know, it's very acceptable to on-farm management, very acceptable to consumers. You know, quite practical in, in terms of you probably just um, uh, vaccinate your animal once when it's born and perhaps a booster um, late, later on. And in theory, um, if it was to work, it's uh, predicted that it would see somewhere between a 20% to 30% reduction in methane emissions per, per animal. So where researchers have got to in that is that they can make it work in the lab. They can make it work in bottles that replicate um, uh, an actual animal, but when they go out into uh, a real animal, uh, it doesn't it doesn't work. And so where they're at now is trying to identify, you know, what what are the barriers to it not working um, in, or what are the what are the reasons that it's not working in an actual animal. There's been quite a comprehensive review of the program more recently by experts from outside the field, and essentially their recommendation was that there's no reason. 
that it can't work. The scientists have found no reason why it won't work. And so work will continue into that um, technology because it's just so attractive um, to New Zealand, but also to the global, um, global community. You've probably heard from Sinead around um, methane, emitter, methane inhibitors. There's obviously a good one coming out in the, in the market, uh, 3NOP. And there's also a lot of work done on other inhibitors um, as well, but probably 3NOP or Bovar is likely to be the first cab off the rank um, when it comes to that type of technology. In terms of nitrification inhibitors, um, there's quite a nice story. Well, it's not a good story, but it's a nice story around um, um, nitrification inhibitors in New Zealand because we actually had a very good one. It's DCD. It was um, applied um, on pasture um could reduce urine could reduce nitrous oxide emissions from urine patches somewhere around 50 percent. But back in around 211, 213, their DCD was found in residues of milk. Now uh, DCD is uh, perfectly safe. It's about as safe as table salt, but it was so safe, nobody ever thought to do the regulatory um, things that you need to do when it comes to something like this. And as the technology got better for identifying uh, residues in, in milk, suddenly they came across DCD. They looked across at um, uh, the, the, the Codex Alimentaris or the level, the minimal accepted level, and they found that it was zero. And of course, um, that essentially meant that it, was, uh, it wasn't allowed in, in milk. And, but it was along the same time um, in China, this was around the time when there was a melanin scare, which, you know, we had newborn babies dying. Um, in China. And if there's any chemical people out there, they'll know that DCD is very structurally similar to, to melamine. And so pretty much that was uh, a huge, uh, huge uh, concern for the Chinese market and nearly cost New Zealand the Chinese market. But that that uh, DCD was taken off the market and none of the dairy companies in, in New Zealand would want to use it. Uh, currently, it was never a safety issue. It was just a market uh, perception um, issue. But there's a lot of research going into newer nitrification inhibitors. And there's a lot of work going on around low emissions feed. But of course, New Zealand is a typical ryegrass clover diet. So um, there's not much um, at the national level ability right, to get reduction in feeds. Our time now. Uh, the, I'm uh, last the slide for questions. I know there's lots of questions coming in here. So, oh, OK, cool. So this is my last slide, everybody. Sorry. So just to sum up, really, what um, what are farmer New Zealand farmers needing to be thinking about now? So this is really specific to New Zealand, but it might um, it probably maybe replicates in, in Ireland. I'm sure I'm sure you'll tell tell you'll tell me. But essentially, you know, when when farmers talk to me, I really talk about, you know, I think the first thing they really need to do now because of those clear signals is know their current um, farm GHG emissions, methane, nitrous oxide, so they can benchmark against what's happening in the sector. I think they really need to be aware of where the sources and sinks of their greenhouse gases are um, on their business so that they can basically think about the mitigation strategies that they might want to use or the land use changes, and obviously start to get an idea of what that implications are for their business profitability. We always say forestry is such a complicated um, area, particularly when you're talking about offset. And a lot of people don't really understand forestries and offset and what it might mean for your business. A lot of people think they can just plant um, and, and they'll all be good. Um, um, that's not the case when you're looking for some off case, unless it's a permanent, unless you're planting permanent forest. 
Um, the key one here, I think, is being aware of what's happening in the wider sector. A lot of farmers say, Sinead, how, you know, am I meant to reduce my emissions by 10% below uh, 2017 level? And I'm like, no, no, that is an actual national climate target. It's not an on-farm uh, target that you have to meet. And as I said, there's a lot of sheep and beef farm going into forestry. A lot of, there's some dairy conversions, water restrictions are taking some dairy, which all remove livestock farming, which means that the more that's sort of done at the at the sector level, it might mean that the less you have to do at the on-farm level. So it's important that you keep um, aware of what's happening in the wider se uh, sector. And then there's just one there around uh, water regulations, which is really specific to, um, to New Zealand. But it's all around now, I think, just getting um, prepared for what's um, um, coming. There's no urgency, but it's just about being prepared and being prepared to act quickly if, if needed. Um, if you're interested in more information, I'll direct you to the Ag Matters website in New Zealand. It talks a little bit um, about there's a web uh, a shop from the website. Um, and um, yeah, I'm at the NZAGRC, always happy to answer questions. And that's me, um, Mark. So hopefully I haven't gone too over time. Oh, thank you, Sinead. No, it, it, I think it was important to, to allow that little extra time there just to I know there's a, we have a, a huge amount of viewers here today that are really interested in, in what's going on in New Zealand, given the, the similarities between the countries. Yeah. Um, yeah. You talked about pricing. Um, how yeah. in practice do you see that operating at, at a farm level or is it still in discussion? It, I st it, it's still it's still very much in discussion. And we haven't seen I haven't I'm not involved in those um, farm uh, reporting and farm pricing uh, milestones from Hewaka Ekanoa. But, you know, I would hope to think that by the end of, you know, this year or early next year, that we'll start to get some indication from Hewaka Ekanoa about what they might look to uh, as a pricing mechanism. But it's still really unsure. As I said, the Climate Change Commission, the interim report, put forward a number of, of, of suggestions, but we're not clear on what um, that how that pricing mechanism will will work. Yeah. You showed in one of your slides the, the ambition there to, to reduce uh, animal numbers whilst yeah. maintaining uh, production or, or output. Yeah. Is, is that, am I right? And is that seen yeah. as the sort of a ceiling? Um, yeah, yeah, well, that, so that, that's a model path that's out for recommendation. So the New Zealand com, uh, uh, country as a country will have to decide if, if, if that's ac acceptable. But yeah, it's really around, you know, you know, one of the key things for on farm practice is really around if can farmers, you know, reduce um, their, their, their numbers, but increase um, uh, productivity per, per animal. Um, and, you know, through that, you can maintain production, but you'll also get some uh, slight decreases in, um, um, in in emissions. Now, there's always the complex thing, you know, we always talk about, you know, so if someone says, oh, I'll reduce, I'll reduce my, my cows, that's great. Um, and, uh, but now I've got all of this excess feed um available what will i do with that well i'll feed it to 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 my animals and sometimes you actually it ends up actually not being as much of a reduction as you as you want so there are some complexities around uh reducing your 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 stocking number and how that actually works um on farm in relation to ghgs and that sort of goes to my point there that i talked about 
you know, that farm, you know, farm system changes, you know, even at the minor levels, you know, you've got to, you've got to, you've got to be monitoring what you're doing to be before you actually go, this is what I'm going to do for GHG emissions. Yeah. But that's what they've suggested. Yeah. Just uh, thank you, Sinead. Uh, just remind everybody today's uh, webinar is being recorded and Sinead's presentation will be available on the website afterwards. Uh, Pat, lots and lots of really good questions yeah. coming in there. Huge number of questions, but uh, uh, <laughs> a significant number of questions on the complementarity or otherwise of greenhouse gas and water quality policy in, in New Zealand yeah. and how the two of those are going to work together. Yeah, that's a, that's a, big, uh, a big one. So, you know, Right now, it's almost like greenhouse gases are outpacing the water, uh, the water regulations and so forth. So, you know, people are still struggling with how we're going to, um, you know, um, monitor and look after our water regulations. And, you know, GHGs has sort of jumped. So I don't think there's an answer to that question, only that, yep, absolutely, they need to be thought as together. They're really... There's discussions with Hewaka and Oga around farm environmental plans. Now I don't know if new, if Ireland has such such a thing, but it's about there's conversations going on around, you know, there being one farm environmental plan that really incorporates all of the environmental issues, you know, related to to on farm. But I don't think we have a, an actual real answer. Only that yes, we know they're they're linked. They need to be linked. Um, how we're going to link them, you know, is st still under under discussion. But certainly, I think you know, greenhouse gases seems to be jumping ahead of water when really we need to be doing water and bringing them all alongside um, um, together. So, yeah, awareness, but no no answers on, on that one. Sorry to everyone. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. Uh, uh, I suppose a, a question in relation to um, say a move to horticulture that you you mentioned. Uh, mm. I suppose one of the issues here in Ireland relating to a move to tillage or horticulture is the uh, amount of carbon in the in the soil and the potential release of that. Is that a potential issue or a potential consideration? Um, <clears throat> right now, so soil carbon is a huge topic in in New Zealand. Um, you know, any farmer discussion group I go to, whatever, you know, there will be people who say we, I am sequestering carbon. Um, um, etc. But we really don't have the research in New Zealand around um, soil carbon and what's actually happening to our soil carbon. We don't account for it currently, you know, bar, you know, large land use change, you know, from forestry to, you know, to, to grazing pasture or etc. We don't in our national inventory, we don't account for soil carbon. So in a sense, I wouldn't say it's 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 not it's not accounted for yet. We're currently working on getting the information around um, what's happening to New Zealand's soil carbon under the various different management practices that we do. Uh, the limited research that we have around soil carbon is that New Zealand, on a whole, is neither gaining nor losing soil um, um, carbon, um, and we've just implemented a 12-year um, a study. And that will monitor around 500 sites around New Zealand across different um, farming systems and different geographical locations and soils and et cetera, to try and get a data set to be able to understand um, our soil carbon. So, yes, there's uh, 
although the the climate change commission have recommended that we you know that there will be a change to horticulture and of course acknowledged that there is loss of soil carbon you know during some of those management practices in horticulture but it's because it's not accounted for currently we're really just getting the information around that yeah I would question in relation to the, I suppose, the pricing of, of emissions, but also the, the, the counting of emissions uh, in relation to GWP 100 versus GWP star. Is there any conversation going on in relation yeah. to that in New Zealand? Yeah, there, there, there has been. But I think because we have, you know, we split out the gases. So we already acknowledge that, you know, methane is a short lived gas. And as a result, methane has a, in a sense, a lighter target than, for instance, nitrous oxide and carbon dioxide. So if you remember, methane does not have to go to zero. It's, uh, and it's measured in, you know, methanes per tonne. We're not talking about any CO2 equivalents uh, for our domestic target in methane. It is measured in methane units. Um, and so in a sense for us, um, GWP star, you know, um, is, 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 is not as hot a topic as it would be elsewhere because we've already acknowledged that yes, uh, methane is different to the long-lived gases such as uh, nitrous oxide and carbon, di carbon dioxide. And also, of course, when you look at policy, um, you know, and that's the thing, you know, there's obviously quite a lot globally, a uh, huge discussion around GWP um, star um, and obviously acknowledge that it does um, deal with um, short-lived gases much better than, for example, GWP 100. But, you know, um, the thing I always say about metrics, you know, there's a lot of them out there. They all have various different pros and cons. They were all designed for scientific purposes. And so, you know, when it comes to policy, you know, the reason GWP 100 was sort of uptaken was it was just the best of a, of, a, of a selection of metrics that was available at the time. And now we're in a position where, for instance, the Paris Agreement, you know, all of that uh, climate targets and et cetera, have been put in GWP uh, 100 uh, metric. Um, now, it doesn't stop you from reporting in GWP star. But for instance, if we were to change over to a GWP star, then that entire uh, Paris Agreement and all of the targets and etc. would be have to change. So I often say, you know, I'm certainly not an atmospheric scientist, and um, you know, on sort of boots on the ground sort of thing is like, yeah, GWP star. It's all, you know, it's all a little bit of a jazzy, jazzy. People are going on with it, but you know, right now we've got to move with GWP 100. Um, and you know, New Zealand, we've we've separated out. We acknowledge there's a difference between methane and um, and those long-lived gases, and that's reflected in our in our targets. So I think the the conversation about GWP star has sort of lulled uh, more more recently. Yeah. So. Here in Ireland, we we kind of refer to our our issues under a heading of gaseous emissions, which includes ammonia. Is ammonia yeah. an issue uh, in New Zealand, or is it considered to be an issue? And and are there actions there associated with with its mitigation? No, like in, we don't really talk about um, ammonia per se. It's obviously, you know, part of the nitrification um, uh, cycle and, and so forth. But we, you know, it's really when we talk about agricultural emissions, we really are just talking about methane and um, nitrous oxide. Obviously within the water quality area, it's probably talked about a bit more, but in terms of the agricultural greenhouse gas space, it's really just methane and nitrous oxide. 
Okay. Yeah. Another uh, couple of questions, or a good few questions relating to, you talked about ryegrass wards, but is there much emphasis on potential uh, uh, benefits of moving towards uh, clover-based uh, or multi-species wards in New Zealand? Yeah, well, I think New Zealand actually naturally has actually quite a lot of, uh, you know, well, mixed species. I suppose it depends how many in their mixed species, but, you know, um, Yes, there is a conversation um, um, around that, and there's a, a, a wide variety of different um, 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 plants. I, I just mentioned ryegrass because it's just the one that that I that I sort of know, and it's always been the sort of traditional ryegrass clover um, um, diet. But there is there is a mixture. There is there is um, particularly around soil carbon. There's a lot of talk around mixed um, um, uh, mixed wards, etc. But um, as I said, when it comes to reduction of um, greenhouse gases, you know, particularly methane, um, if you want to get, if you want to use feed to help reduce um, or, you know, find specific feeds that will reduce methane, you really often have to feed them at quite a high proportion of, of the diet. Um, and so... Uh, because because New Zealand will stick to what it grows and what it grows well, so and what it's cheap to grow. So the opportunity to use, you know, sort of different um, feeds in terms of reduction of greenhouse gases is is quite limited in in New Zealand, and that's why you know there's a lot of focus on other other um, technologies more so than low emission feeds are changing to a different system. We have a question yeah. here, um, Sinead, in relation to the, the, the 15% reduction that you talked about and mm. what impact that might have in production systems. Uh, there's a suggestion here that maybe the, a reduction in land available for dairy production. And do you think that the industry might move to a more intensive system, high input, high output to maintain the amount of milk produced? Yeah, I don't, I don't think when... I haven't looked in detail at what um, the, the the model has been done for for that climate change um, commission report, but um, I, in terms of it intensity, I don't know that according to what they've modeled, it you know it is going to be around continuing business as usual, um, but you know which has been you know we see those increases in in, in efficiency gain. I think it's about one percent per 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 year. Um, 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 so I, I don't think they're envisioning that there'll be you know, major changes to, to what is predicted already. Um, so it's almost like business as usual, but a, a slight redu reduction. As I said, those under current policies were predicted to see 8 to 10% reduction. So the Climate Change Commission are just you know, pushing it out just a, a, a little bit further. Yeah. And in relation to, I mean, there's going to be obviously a huge advisory effort, knowledge transfer in terms of rolling out these uh, various mm. measures and, and schemes. I mean, how is, is that being considered or is there? Uh, yeah, so so you saw there in Hawaka and Noah, their, their fifth stream was really around extension, uh, communication, etc., um, more recently, one of the things we've been um, doing or our mandate has never our mandate has always been around, um, you know, funding research. But during our last review, we actually got criticized because even though it was never in our mandate, it was like, why weren't we out, you know, sort of communicating um, the information to, to 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 the people on the ground? 
And so although it was never on our mandate, it has now slightly crept in. So one of the things we we are doing on behalf of um, um, the New Zealand government and working with industry and, and et cetera and so forth is working with rural professionals mm-hmm. um, and starting to raise the knowledge in um, our rural professionals group because they're often the people who are, you know, first port of call for um, um, for the farmers to to start to have a, a you know, a discussion around agricultural greenhouse gases and so more recently we've seen um so we've been involved i think we've 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 reached over 300 rural professionals in new zealand during the last year giving these sort of one day um just general 101 um you know first morning is about the science and then in the second uh the the afternoon is really working with uh, we've got a fantastic um, farm consultant who sort of takes them through how you might model all of your different farm management practices and what that means you know if you change x what happens to y um, and etc and so that's just starting and then I think Hewaka Ekonoa in their fifth work stream are likely to 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 sort of um, increase that out and there w- there's absolutely in the in that climate change um, uh, commission report that's come out you know they specifically um, mentioned that you know support will be needed in order to get our agricultural sector up to date, in order to be able to understand what needs to be done when it comes to our um, targets yeah, and agriculture. We're just, going, we're just going past half past 10. Um, so what I'm gonna just maybe just let our viewers know that we're gonna continue on for another 15 minutes uh, with, with questions. Uh, we understand that people have to leave with other um, commitments, uh, but just to let people know that next week we'll have uh, Patrick Forrestal from uh, Chagas St. John's Castle is going to be talking about uh, a research update on protected urea. Um, so if people want to dial in for that next uh, next Friday, so we'll continue. And it's interesting, you should talk about connecting with rural professionals. That's one of the, the, the main objectives yeah. of this connected program that's uh, uh, behind me here is uh, to, to engage with the, the professional community and non-farming community that are uh, you know, so important to supporting the agri-food sector. So yeah, you, the, um, the last thing you want is a scientist talking to a farmer. <laughs> Someone I, like I, me. Well, I'm not sure if I go that far. <laughs> I think Sinead, you do a very good job at it. Uh, it's it's a long time since I milked a cow, so uh, I, I tend to I tend to stay away from that. That yeah. could be sorted. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we can arrange that. Uh, pass, uh, we we yeah. we'll continue I, on with the questions. So, and uh, if if that's okay with you, Sinead, we'll we'll yeah, we'll absolutely. Through, but, uh, yeah. I know it's getting late over in New Zealand. It's uh, coming up to what is it? Uh, your thirteen hours? Is that right? Yeah, half half eleven. So it's it's a, it's a wild Friday night for me here <laughs> okay. in in New Zealand. Yeah, it's, it's almost time for wine, maybe. Oh. <laughs> and head, and head we out. We won't we won't stop you doing that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think. <clears throat> A good few questions about the, uh, the, the the capping or the potential capping of numbers and a, a point being made that the numbers are the independent decisions of 40,000 farmers uh, uh, who, yeah. are, who are having those. How are, is there any thought in New Zealand as to how that capping of numbers might be put in place? Yeah, no, I don't think we're anywhere close to sort of that discuss, you know, like to that sort of uh, level of a level of of detail, you know, and and, and I think you know, although they've modelled it out, it feel it, you know the the conversation is that you know the way New Zealand is moving, 
Um, and the way there's, you know, there's, you know, quite a lot of our sheep and beef farms are being converted to forestry. And there's a real economic reason for why that's actually happening. Um, you know, because of the water regulations that are happening, that we'll actually naturally see there's a sort of a natural na land use change occurring in New Zealand, um, just similar to what would have happened decades ago when, um, you know, we had the, the, the end of subsidies in New Zealand and a lot of people thought it would be the end of farming, but, you know, it didn't, it continued on and, and, uh, and, and grew in, in a sec. So we, there's a feeling that, you know, that business as usual scenario. So even though people say that it will actually naturally, probably naturally happen because we're taking, there'll be so much land probably or a certain amount of land taking out of livestock farming and we'll just see, um, you know, what's left behind. And so you'll see this natural reduction in, in numbers. And I don't think, well, I would hope, um, and I don't particularly envision New Zealand ever capping, you know, particular numbers, but I think it's probably likely to happen. Whether they'll get to 15%, I think that's, you know, who who knows, but certainly, you know, the the sort of uh, business as usual scenario pre pre predicts somewhere between eight and 10% reduction in, in, in numbers just, you know, happening as, as is. Yeah. A couple of questions coming in in relation to uh, and we talk, we uh, Mark mentioned about uh, the, the the talk next week in relation to protected urea NBBT NBPT treated urea. What's the story in relation to its use in in New Zealand? Ah, uh, that that I don't know that much about that, um, Pat. So I'm not even going to attempt to okay. to, to to answer answer that one. Yeah, that is fine. Okay. Um, just, I suppose, the, uh, a couple of questions there as to the attitude of farmers uh, uh, and maybe changes in attitude over the last while to a number of factors. We have one specific question in relation to attitude to forestry, but I think general, a couple of general questions in, in relation to the attitudes of farmers to what's coming down the line in terms of the asks of them. Yeah, I think, you know, it, it's quite interesting. I, I wasn't around. The centre was started back in 2009 here in New Zealand. I wasn't um, uh, working at the centre then. And, but I, you know, often chat to the stories of our, our director and the people who work there. And they said back, you know, back back then, you know, you couldn't get anyone to talk to you about climate change. You know, it was just not on people's uh, radar. And even a, even I think, you know, about two, two years ago, um, the government did a, um, a, a survey, I think, of over 700 farmers in New Zealand, um, asking them if anybody knew their uh, greenhouse gas um, emissions profile. And only about 2% um, of people sort of answered yeah, I could probably give you give you something. And that was probably from the dairy and they were working with a tool called Overseer. So, you know, and, and that wasn't surprising because, you know, greenhouse gases were not on the um uh the the in front of front of the farmer and you know, they were pretty busy, you know, dealing with, you know, water regulations, which is very much and water regulations is still very much up front and central for many New Zealand farmers. But I think, you know, over the last two years, we've seen um, a, a shift uh, in, in, in attitude, seeing a lot more people now, you know, obviously there's always the, the, the people who are really forward thinking they're already getting on board because they're looking for the opportunities. You often see that with the younger farmers, actually, I think, who know that um, 
that, you know, the farm is coming to them or, or, you know, they're starting out. And so they're really keen. They know this is going to be a part of their business. You know, and I think the government now having given that clear signal about what's happening, we're now seeing a lot more people sort of, um, you know, get start to ask questions and start to want to make themselves um, um, aware um, now, obviously, sort of from the science community, you know, I often deal with, you know, my selection of farmers are often quite a little bit biased, I think, because, you know, they're often the people that are coming and talking to us. So, you know, it, you'd probably need to speak to someone who's more boots on the ground, really, to give you that sort of overview of what's happening nationally. But, you know, from my engagement, I think certainly the last two years, it's been a big shift. And, you know, really, even in the last, um, you know, six months, you know, a big change, you know, we're now getting asked, um, you know, we started off doing the rural, working with the rural professionals, and now we're starting to get farmer groups um, coming, asking us, uh, you know, can you come out and, you know, uh, come for a farm day and, and just tell us a little bit and just, you know, so I think there's a sort of general acceptance that, um, you know, there's no going back now that it is just unfortunately another environmental variable um, that uh, farmers will have to incorporate into their um um, business and you know you often hear a lot of people um, talking over here around you know having the license to farm or the social license mm. to to farm is sort of the term I think people um, use so you know there's no one excited about it I would say but you know I think sort of a general acceptance and as I said the sort of younger people who are sort of see themselves in the game for a lot longer you know are really looking to see where the opportunities um um, lie um, whereas you know there's certainly a proportion of people who are like well if I get taxed you know I'll just pay the tax and you know not worry about it as well so a spectrum I spectrum I think um, across the board that would be my my take on it but as I said I'm quite I have a very biased um, group that I, I I talk to who are, who are very um, yeah engaging yeah there's a, a number of questions, again, in, in the forestry area, and one particular issue, I suppose, relates to a, a kind of a debate here in Ireland uh, between, I suppose, movement towards a commercial type forestry and a more natural uh, forestation. What's the, the mix or what's the view there or, or how is that being uh, uh, presented in, in policy terms in, in New Zealand? Yeah. So we have a, a thing called plant a million trees, but um, uh, policy, but I, you know, and it's about finding the right place for the right tree so that there's a, there's a huge policy, policy on that. Um, in terms of forestry, you know, I, I'm not a huge expert on it, but, you know, I listen to, you know, quite a lot of experts talk about it. And, and the one thing that comes out all the time, it's so complicated and you've got to be so careful um, about what you do because there's so many things that go you know, because it's a long term and you're assuming a lot of things, particularly if you go down the route of carbon farming um, or, you know, your your decisions around whether you go for natives or whether you go for pine or populous um, and, and so forth. So um, what was the question again? Um, um, no, it's, Pat, it's just, I suppose, it, the balance between a, a native yeah. type forestry and a commercial uh, yeah. forestry venture. OK, yes. Yeah, so. There's a lot of money, I think, to be made in probably carbon farming. So um, that's why we're seeing a lot of our sheep and beef farmers, you know, selling off their land into into far, into into carbon farming. 
Um, I don't have the numbers. I, 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 I've heard them. Um, so, but there's quite a lot going on. But the Climate Change Commission have really now, you know, put forth that stuff. I, and I think I mentioned it in my talk about, you know, encouragement of um, native forests. But the problem with native forests, you know, apparently is that it's incredibly expensive to get up and running in um, New Zealand. I think it's around somewhere between 10 to 10,000 to 40,000 a hectare or something compared to, I think, 1,500 a hectare for a, for a pine. And so it's, um, it's, it's um, but acknowledging that um, there is quite a lot of interest from people in native forests. Um, and these are people who are particularly um, willing to take the upfront costs on um, setting up a native forest for the benefits of their grandchildren or their grandchildren's children um so it's it's a it's a bit of a it's a bit of a mix it all depends i guess on on what you're planning but my sum up of forestry it, it, it's complicated and make sure you have an expert um tell you what to do or that's that's what they say here in new zealand anyway so i'm not sure if i answered that question very well but um a bit of information oh, no, I anyway I, I think it, it, it aligns with i suppose some of the thinking here a couple of quick yeah. questions. There's um, a question there in relation to the genetics work in terms of, of methane reduction. Are you looking at the potential impact of, of if you get uh, uh, improvements in, in uh, methane emissions, is that impacting on the, the uh, output uh, factors of those animals? Yeah, no. So yes, they have. So um in relation to the sheep. So the sheep workers, which is the one that has progressed the most. Yes, they've looked across a wide range of uh, productivity. And I think there's almost even, and I don't want to, I'd have to look at it again, but I think it's almost, it's almost positive more towards the low emissions um, sheep and think, I think they've got better marbling in their meat and better quality in their, in their actual wool, just, just slightly. So there's actually, um, but you know, the general consensus, there's no difference in terms of productivity between the high and the low um, methane um, 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 phenotypes. Yeah. Okay. And a, a good number of questions uh, around the uh, methane vaccines as to how that mm. might work. Uh, just Yeah. So essentially, so the, the methane vaccine really, so the... Um, the immune system. So there's no immune system in the in the in the forestomach, the rumen of the animal. So what the what the researchers are trying to do is they're going to try and stimulate the immune system in the saliva, um, in the mouth, and then the saliva then will will essentially um, carry the antibodies um, into the the rumen because there's quite a lot of um, saliva that flows through the ruminant animal. Uh, per day. Um, I'm sure there's an animal person listening who'll, who'll know it off by heart how much saliva goes through a ruminant animal, but I think somewhere like 200 litres or something for, for um, uh, dairy cattle. It's, 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 it's a lot. And essentially, basically, uh, it'll be stimulated in, in, in the saliva. It'll head into the, it'll be washed into the rumen. And essentially that antibody will, will essentially go and find that will be will be directed specifically to those methane forming microbes and a best essentially bind onto those methane methane forming microbes and actually prevent them from um, replicating or essentially living so you basically impact them they can't grow and so you reduce their numbers so that's in theory what is expected to happen the number where it comes from where i said they 
expect that they would see somewhere between a 20 and a 30 percent decrease in methane really comes from um, the studies that have been done with that um, methane inhibitor, you know, one of the best studies, uh, methane inhibitors is a 3NOP. It's uh, our Bovar is the name of the product that it'll eventually be marketed as. And essentially 3NOP is an inhibitor. So you feed it um, in feed. It was designed uh, for in shed feeding. And it basically just like an antibiotic, it goes into the rumen of the stomach and it attacks um, or it basically affects those methane forming microbes so that they can't produce methane um, anymore. And we know with those inhibitors that, you know, there's been quite a lot of robust studies done with them that they can get around, you know, I think on average, I think around a 30% reduction in methane per, per animal. So the methane vaccine and the inhibitor, although they, they have different modes of action, they are essentially basically taking out are reducing the impact of those methane forming microbes to be able to produce um, methane. So that's how the vaccine um, essentially works in, in detail. Yeah. Okay, Sinead, well, I, I think we're going to have to cut it there. Uh, ah. Sinead has to go to bed at some stage, Pat. <laughs> well, no, just, just, just a final comment that uh, yeah. there's a few comments in there that if you ever get set up with the good life in New Zealand, you have plenty of offers to come and milk. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how that would affect their bottom line. <laughs> yes, a lot of offers coming from Limerick and Carlo oh, and Leash. So, uh, oh, nice. Yeah, so yeah. Today, Great. yeah, yeah. I've yeah, got no. a second career. Thanks, everyone. Um, I, I, I'll <laughs> be terrible, but I do my job. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, Sinead, look, thank you so much for, for putting yeah. uh, so much effort into your presentation today. And yeah. uh, for us now, it was excellent to, to get a, uh, an insight of what's happening in New Zealand, given the, the similarities between the countries. And uh, hopefully we maybe touch base again in, in the future. And just to, yeah, absolutely. because I mean, this is a, a very live situation, I suppose, in, in uh, across the world. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, again, you know, you know, by the end of this year or, you know, early next year, again, we'll start to see more certainty as sort of Hewak Ekanoa moves through its processes. You know, we'll, you know, we'll definitely be getting, you know, some more clarity. And, you know, again, how does the New Zealand public, you know, sort of uh, respond to the Climate Change Commission's proposed path as well, which really, really sees you know every sector of society in New Zealand hurt you know in mm -hmm. some in some bit you know we you know it is really asking us to change how we uh, currently um, um, live so you know it, it is a certainly an evolving um, situation and yeah who, who knows what will look like in in 12 months time um, um, as, okay. it, as is yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. And uh, just to finally to thank our production team, Andy Boland, uh, Catherine Keena, Pat Murphy and Yvonne Maher. And uh, if you'd like to receive updates on training opportunities, latest publications and invitations to events from Chagask, uh, you can sign up to the Chagask Connected Digital Programme for free. And uh, we hope you can you can just uh, keep keep in touch with us. So until next week, again, Sinead, thank you so much. And uh, Pat for uh, assisting with all of those questions. Uh, lots and lots of questions, a lot, huge interest, uh, Sinead. And uh, you might even have broken a new record uh, in terms of the number of viewers that we've had today. So uh, we hope uh, look, we, we, we hope to keep in touch with you anyway. Over the uh, well, isn't that what the Don Limerick we win all the All Irelands now, isn't it? Oh, so. God. <laughs> you were smug at the start and now you're bragging. <laughs> I'll, I'll, go to, I'll go to bed. So. Oh, okay. <laughs>
Okay, Sinead, take care right. and we'll talk bye to you Bye, everyone. Soon. Lovely to, to talk to everyone at home in Ireland. Yeah. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the podcast version of the Chagisk Signpost series, the weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. Don't forget to join us live every Friday morning for our latest webinar. For more, visit chagisk.ie. And you can also rate, review and subscribe to the Signpost series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Mark Gibson and thanks for listening.